Hi, John. <laughs> Hi, Ed. Good to see you. <laughs> I was uh, I was going around the house this morning. My brain, the the brain worm that I had was variations on your name. Uh, oh, very good. Yeah, mm-hmm. but the one I settled on was Eddie Scugarelli, and I think that this character is going to be the uh, it's going to be the um, protagonist of in my uh, spec script for Grease Four. Grease Four. Wait, was there a Grease Three? Probably. Let's see. Grease Three. Probably. It was, but it was a prequel. No, actually. Pre Grease. Uh, it's. It, oh, interesting. Okay, so it doesn't exist. Um, but it was planned, not executed. Mm-hmm. Here's an yeah. article. F- um, here's an article from Moviehole. Mm-hmm. Uh, dot com. Uh, it's written was written in November 2006 by Caffeinated Clint. And this person says, Grease 3 is as dead as sunburnt skin. But that hasn't stopped cast member Didi Khan from revealing the plot line for the potential film. Khan, who would have reprised her role as Frenchie, is so sure the film will never happen now. Apparently, John Travolta nixed it and others followed suit that she's let the cat out of the bag. Uh, Danny was a racing driver, still married to Sandy, who was a singer. Rizzo and Kinnicky were divorced and had a gay son. That's not a plot. No, that's not a plot, as conventionally understood. Yeah. But there's room for tension. I can see a plot developing. Uh, Not really, I can't. I can't see it. I thought I could see one. What was the plot of Greece? uh, It was... um, there's a new new girl in town, mm-hmm. uh, and also a new boy in town. And the girl and the boy uh, came from different worlds. Uh, one liked to alter automobiles, and the other liked to... I don't Friends? know what she liked. I think she was bookish, but at the end, at least in the film version, they turned her into uh, a sexy lady. She was leather clad, like a like a fine volume of Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, correct. Um, and then I think they f- decided to be in love. Oh, they had they 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 had um they had met the previous summer, and fooled around a little bit, and then they unexpectedly at the shore at the beach at a camp. Yeah, at the beach, summer mm-hmm. loving. It got right. me. Got me well, a, it happened very. It happened very quickly. Yeah, it happened very quickly. Summer love, and it happened very quickly. <laughs> um, I don't think that's the plot of Greece. I think the plot of Greece is everybody in town is new, and they're literally from different worlds. <laughs> um, there's nine of them, and they are the uh, the, the royal consorts of the uh, empresses of Neptune, Pluto, Jupiter, Saturn, um, your anus, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Mars and Mars Two, uh, <laughs> and uh, they meet at uh, you know uh, an auto body shop. <laughs> you, you got that uh, right. None of them can see. They're not blind. They just can't see on Earth. <laughs> on their own planets, they can see fine, but okay. on Earth, they can't see. And they all find different parts of a car, um, and they try to put it together. Oh, like the old uh, men with the elephant. Yeah, yeah. It's an updating of The Old Men with the Elephant. <laughs> with John Travolta uh, and Sandy Duncan. 
mm-hmm. playing the part of Olivia, <laughs> playing the part of Olivia Newton-John. <laughs> In this version, Sandy Duncan can see out of both eyes, but one of the eyes is a glass eye. Uh, maybe the glass eye in this world is the only one she can see out of. She now has an advantage over the other empress, emperors and empresses. It's the only eye anyone on Earth can see out of. <laughs> it's coveted. So like every, the, it's like the Palantir. And everyone on Earth sees what Sandy Duncan is seeing at any given time. Or whoever possesses the Sandy Duncan's eye. <laughs> it's and, a quest. <laughs> And then in walks Eddie Scucarelli. That's right. Well, not till the sequel, not till the third, the third version. I was in Greece. I don't remember what role. I was too. I was some adult. There must be some adults because I never got to play a teenager when I was a teenager. Well, here's the pro- okay. Here's the problem with. Is Greece. there a detective? <laughs> I don't think there's a detective. There might be a I cop. I think I was a cop or a principal. Um. I have a problem. Here's the problem with Greece. Most the Greece most people are familiar with is the film, which reprises most but not all the music from the show, and then adds some more disco discoy songs because Olivia Newton-John was a disco person. Right. You're the one that I want. Is that um, for the movie? That was just for the movie. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's a good song, but um, it's performed by Meatloaf, isn't it? It's very Meatloaf. <laughs> it's a kind of loafish. Mm-hmm. No, it's 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 it's. it's performed by the, the actors the actors yeah but here's right. the thing about the show and i was in the show too mm-hmm. the sh- the show there's a kind of a nostalgia to greece because it remembers the i think it was written in the 70s it was remembering the 1950s and right. the the 1950s 1950s culture that never was is being celebrated in the film right. but in the show it opens up in the present day with a reunion of the students from the class, and they are remembering those assholes from the old days who aren't at the reunion because they all dropped out of school or something. They were right. they were not good students, right? And yeah. it's sort of like, what what happened to those knuckleheads? And then mm-hmm. you go into the past and you see those knuckleheads at their moment of their moment of greatest feeling of being alive, right? The, the, right. The Which most... is also the moment when they make the life choices that will doom them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Everything they're doing is a, a precursor to their failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's kind of what it's about. It's a, it's, a, it's a sad story. It's about nostalgia, but not sort of celebratory nostalgia, kind of like, here's what has been lost. Um, but that's not in the movie. In the movie, it's just it's like the Christmas Carol. If it was only the ghost of Christmas Future, and you're hearing them talk about um, what a jerk you were when you were alive. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I'd read that book without anyway. a chance for redemption. Yeah, so just the third ghost. No non-ghost scenes. So what you were just describing was Grease Four. Was my Grease Four script? I think. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Is it circulating? Is it uh, making its rounds? It's making its rounds in, in my in my mind. Pitch it, pitch it to me. The real quick pitch. The, the you know the elevator. You just escalator. said it. You just said it. It's a, all well, these. Uh, but that was kind of rambling. Let's uh, read it back to me. Okay, interplanetary <laughs> teens, the leaders of their various planets, come to Earth, assuming that they're going to take over, that they're that they're going to become the emperors and empresses of Earth and subjugate its um, citizenry to whatever. 
Um, but it turns out that on Earth, they're all blind. And so they can't find the exit to get back to their own planets. So their plot to take over is thwarted. Um, but th and as a result, they end up, they end up uh, developing rivalries, having love mm -hmm. affairs, and singing mm -hmm. lots of really great songs, show tunes, if you will. Yeah. Um, and then you, as the, as the detective slash principal, uh, mm -hmm. Arthur Scucarelli, no, 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 Eddie Scucarelli, Mm -hmm. um, you come in on your three-wheeled motorcycle uh, with a gigantic, uh, with a gigantic Swedish flag on it, because mm -hmm. you're actually Swedish. Right. Uh, you're Swedish Italian. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you decide uh, that you're going to try to sleep with every they're, single. They're, one they're both of them. meatball cultures. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's that's what we have in common. You're going to sleep with everyone, and in so doing, you're going to um, you're going to spread uh, dissent among them. You're going mm -hmm. to woo each mm -hmm. each emperor or empress, and you're going to say, "Oh, so and so uh, wants to bone you," or "So and so wants to kill you," and mm -hmm. then you meticulously create this web yeah. of lies so that at the end, this is a big number where everyone is singing and murdering each other while you rev your motorcycle and laugh yeah. hysterically. It's kind of a Fonz-Iago combination. <laughs> Fonz-Iago, Fonz correct, <laughs> yes. Fonz-Iago. Maybe that's, <laughs> that's what it should be called. <laughs> Not Grease. Grease 4, colon, Fonz-Iago. <laughs> That's it. That's... How is that different from the stage version? <laughs> the stage version, they're all nude. Everyone is right. nude for the whole show, but the, but they, it's too too hot for too hot for it's HBO. Called, it's called Oh Fonziago. Oh Fonziago. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, here's an escalator. Now, thanks for the escalator pitch. Yeah. So here's something disturbing I saw last week. Okay. I went to Target. Yeah. You have targets in oh, yeah. uh, Syracuse. Is the nearest one in Syracuse, or no, do you have one in? There's one here in Ithaca, in the in the Ithaca. mall, in the mall that will soon go out of business. <laughs> is it a two-story target? No. Well, is it a two-story target? Mm-hmm. Um, you'll have an escalator, um, and in the 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 alley, the gutter between them, you can uh, put your shopping cart. And the shopping carts have their own little escalator. Oh. Which goes alongside the human escalator, and they go at roughly the same pace, and it's great fun. It really brings a, a jouissance to your shopping. Okay. At Target. No, you you don't mean just a shopping basket. You mean okay? I'm looking at it here. Oh, cart, escalator, and Target. Whole whole cart. Look at that. Would you cart full cart? Yeah. Oh, this is great. Yeah, it is great. All right, I'll link to this. I'll link to this. Okay, so uh, whereas so far this is not disturbing at all. This is actually wonderful. It's delightful. No, this is this is pretty great. So I was at the Target at, by Mall Two Hundred Five. Yeah, and um, it was not working. Oh, the uh, carts weren't catching for some reason. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was jammed. In fact, you could tell from looking at it that it was jammed. Um, and that it wasn't going to work no matter how frequently you tried to make it work by putting your card into it, pulling it out, uh, putting your hands on your hip, uh, making like a little cry, and then trying again. Yeah. There's an elevator right behind the escalator. 
that you can take that that is is deluxe. And oh, you go in on one side and it opens on the other side. And you can fit your uh, card in there. It's big, big enough. Fit a lot of cards in there. Okay. Yeah. Um, and people at the wait. Let bottom, me guess. Let me guess. There, everyone is proceeding in an orderly fashion away from the escalator and into the elevator. And then, as more people come up, the people in front are saying, "No, you go. You go right ahead." And the, the second person says, "Thank you so being, much." Even after being told by an associate and having the way pointed to them to the <laughs> elevator, they refused to take the elevator and demanded that they get the escalator working. Which, in the time that I was there, did not happen. Uh, were Was there a correlation between people who were and weren't wearing uh, COVID masks and people who were no, and weren't wearing masks? Yeah. Everyone's wearing, oh, that's good. Everyone's a mask, yeah. Okay. But the mask does not make you smarter. <laughs> right? It, it, it shows that you have a baseline of intelligence. Sure. But it doesn't add, it doesn't, like, it doesn't, it's not like a magic item. It's not like it adds one point to your intelligence yeah. score. A mask of plus three intelligence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and so that was, that was delightful. Um, what are some other magic items? From the coronavirus era, the mask plus four, of course, would be very nice to have. Oh, the is inter- there anything that adds to your dexterity? No, oh my God, no. <laughs> well, there's only 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 not many people being out and about. I've been taking so you know the gym the gym has has been closed for a while, and I had been doing a lot of exercise, and I uh, wanted to continue to be you know healthy and fit. So I think the term is buff. <laughs> it's not, not kind of the V-neck T-shirt right now, or a robe, or a tunic. No, I don't it's a. Know. It's a. Oh, I guess so you call a, this a Henley. It's a Henley. Yeah, uh, a rakishly unbuttoned Henley. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just getting in the spirit of Greece for Fonziago. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. Uh, so I'm taking a lot of long walks, and we Ithaca has done pretty well with COVID, we've kept the cases down. There was, right. we had a big surge this past week, the result of two things. A bunch of people went on vacation outside of town and brought COVID back. And there was a little, there was a little uh, breakout from that. And then some other people stayed in town, but had a 4th of July party. Um, and everyone got sick from that. So we've got like 25 cases right now, but we still have for the whole thing, no deaths. And uh, the hospital has not been overrun. That will all change in a few weeks because Cornell's foolishly bringing the students back to town. Um, but for the time being, you can people mostly wear masks and um, people mostly keep their distance. And uh, I take these long walks on areas, roads, or sidewalks that I, I'm trying to predict that people won't be on mm-hmm. um, because they're on steep hills or shitty parts of town or what have you. Um, but man, there's always somebody. These young dudes jogging, and I understand why you would want to jog without a mask. It's it's doable in Ithaca, but they don't they don't even make a move to avoid you. They don't cross the street. They, you know, like I like pressing myself up against the railing of a bridge over a mountain gorge as a as a buff teen goes zooming past, uh, puffing out his. uh, COVID particles. 
I, I have to I have to get over it because the town is about to be more crowded. I've got to not react. I have to not flinch every time somebody comes near me or I'm going to have a, one, a, a dreadful fall. But I'm super paranoid. I don't want to get sick. I already know one person who died. Oh, my God. Yeah. We have to talk about something that in another sense, too. Somebody died. Another friend recovered from it. You just realize what I'm talking about. Um, Another friend got it, recovered from it, but then ended his own life. Uh, It's unclear if it had to do with the COVID or if it messed with his head. He did not seem to be prone to suicide. He had a couple of kids. you You never know. People don't actually tell you what they're going through, and some people are more private than others. So obviously, there's it didn't need to have anything to do with COVID, but... And then we have, you know, a couple of, couple of online writer friends or, you know, one of them has had it for three months and can, is up to like a five minute walk is about the most she can do. Another one's got like weird arthritis, swollen, she and her husband both have these crazy swollen joints. Like it's, and these people are younger than me. I don't want this thing, man. No, I don't want it either. Anyway. So, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, uh, the person I mentioned, of course, who died from COVID is um, Ache Carrillo. Yeah. Now, did who we, we both knew? Who we both mm-hmm. knew. Um, <laughs> and then uh, he was a he was a really sweet guy and a good writer and a good musician. And his part of his um, part, of, and you can fill in any details you recall that I don't. But his part of his shtick was that he was he had been a cuban refugee and a childhood piano prodigy and he really was very good at the piano i i saw him play we did a we did a music Mm -hmm. and writing thing together um and so he's he sort of had an afro-cuban legacy and was of of course a fluent spanish speaker and he got married uh to by all accounts a really nice nice guy no, he was very nice. Uh, Dennis, yeah. I never a, a met B, Dennis. A bee uh, uh, entomologist, a bee professor, professor of bees. Okay, yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so Hache dies, <laughs> and, uh, and and then the Washington Post runs an obit that I'll link mm-hmm. to, and um, his family wrote to them and said, uh, yeah, that he... He he wasn't Cuban. Um, right. He was from Detroit. He was from Detroit. Uh, yeah. And his name was Glenn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the o- the only disturbing part of the whole story is that uh, his name was Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and a couple of uh, a, a friend of mine, uh, Dan Pena, the Mexican American writer I know from uh, from uh, Houston. He's he he was the original drummer for the Starry Mountain Band, and he right, went to grad school. At, uh, he said his he said his Spanish was flawless. Like you would not you would not think for a second that he was pretending to be Cuban. Yeah, um, which is an extraordinary achievement. Like his husband didn't know. Right. Um, he was living a lie, and of course, uh, you know. A, a thing about him was he always he's always working on this great uh, you know n- this great uh, novel this great immigrant novel 
Yeah. <laughs> and he never finished. And of and of, now, of course, he never finished because if he ever finished it, people would start asking him. Right. He was caught in a bind. He was caught in a bind. He was he, caught in a bind. It's a brilliant performance. I think no less of him. His memory, no. I think, even shines bright. Glenn's memory shines brighter. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I feel uh, like I know him better um, as, as a result of all this. Um, he, but I, I, I've a lot of sympathy for that bind that he must have been in because yeah, I bet he man. probably, because he was a very good writer. Yeah. Um, and he may well have finished such a book or <laughs> like Salinger, any number of books yeah. that we, that maybe we'll get to see, probably won't. Um, but he couldn't publish them. He could, you know, he couldn't, he could not get any more recognition than he had received at a certain point. Without without knowing that the his cover would be blown, uh, I was probably very surprised that it had gone on so long without. Sure. And the family the family was not it's not a situation where the family didn't know that it was happening. Yeah, yeah, no, they knew, and but- we're like, what? How? This is not true. They were, they knew they were just kind of like, well, that's that's the world that Glenn's making for himself. <laughs> exactly. There's a quote here. Um, <laughs> in Michigan, meanwhile, relatives of Glenn were aghast and bemused after the book came out as they began to read online literary play- praise for H.G. Carrillo, a Cuban-born novelist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Webley family member said, we were all like, what? Most, <laughs> most of his loved ones eventually shrugged it off. Glenn was always eccentric, Webley said, but his mother, yeah. his mother took offense. I do right. understand why. His uh, why his mother would be upset, but um, but uh, <laughs> Glenn was always eccentric. Is not a yeah. sentence I ever expected to read about him. But Ache was not eccentric. Ache was pretty down to earth, right? Sure. Ache had been a uh, he was a good professor. He was an excellent teacher. He, well, we he talked. had this exciting, interesting past that, yeah. of course, we talked. We talked together. We talked together at George Washington University. Yeah, uh, ten years ago, and 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 had uh, spent a lot of time with him, and had dinner a number of times with him and his partner. We were going out to uh, Michael Collier's house for a day out in the, con- con- the country, like out in the suburbs, um, where uh, we all talked about our uh, Boy Scout past, and he uh, he had been an Eagle Scout and was able to recite all of the Boy Scout um, uh, lore. Um, Impressive, perfectly, and uh, I think that that was untrue. <laughs> oh, you don't think he w- even was a scout? I don't think that he was an Eagle Scout. <laughs> he may have been a scout, but I don't think he was. In, I don't know. Reading his his biography, whether he would have, would have whether would have been an Eagle Scout. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the family support and and uh, the kind of you know it takes it's a lot. It's a real achievement, you know. Yeah. And, uh, if if the the seventeen year old uh, Glenn, as described by his family in in the reports, would have been square enough to, to be an Eagle Scout, you know, because it was it was tied up with uh, uh, with the story of the kind of the the immigrant drive um, to achieve, right? Like my parents, uh, you know, my dad insisted that I be like a scout, right? Mm-hmm. It's part of the story, you know. It was like part of like becoming American. Yeah, but the thing uh, is, the, being like a gay man growing up in suburban Detroit, 
and ending up being a college professor and novelist is an interesting life story. Yeah, like it's for, already- for, somebody who, for somebody, you know, growing up in, I mean, he was 15 years older than me, I think. So he was, I mean, he was in his 60s when he died, I think. He, no, he was 56. Late 50s? All right. 56. So, so not, not that much older. Yeah. Not that much older. But still. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I'm I, sorry. I, I'm I, wrong about that. He was 59. So he was like 10 yeah. years older than we are. Yeah. Uh, I'd say thumbs up, Ache. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, seriously. Well done. Life well lived. Yeah. <laughs> Life well lived. Yeah, seriously. I I know he wasn't a super well-known writer, but I hope I hope somebody writes a book about him and the mystery of his life and the and yeah. the fiction of his life because I feel like I feel like that was once he realized that it was too it was too risky to publish another book that became the that became the creative drive right was being yeah. this person he'd created yeah he was great he was so nice um well i met him at breadloaf we were scholars or fellows at the same time um so i mean when i first met him you know it was a, a you know with a, a, a small setting with you know spent two weeks with him yeah you know Spending a lot of time with him every day with another another friend of mine, Tim Woodward, uh, novelist Solon, uh, Timothy Solon Woodward. Um, oh, sure. And and he and I have been talking about it <laughs> about 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 what's that with Ache? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it the same as 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 a, a a great work of fiction. And perhaps he doesn't get to publish the book that will um, uh, go down through the ages. But I think that the fiction that he created will become legendary. Yes, I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so yes, uh, I have no such secret, but I do not want to die of COVID nevertheless. And so... Uh, what do you think, if, if, if J. Robert Lennon was fictional, which is plausible, um, what... What's the real story, John? If, what's the stage version of what's the Greece musical version of of Greece? This this, this episode is just you is just you giving me prompts. Just throwing you some softballs. Please. I'm not as good at, at improv as you are. Fungos? You should be is that what they call these. them in, in in baseball? I don't know. F- flugos? Fungos? Fungos. There's some word for when you kind of throw Oh yeah, um, fungo. It's literally not a softball because it's hardball. A fly ball hit for fielding practice. I have no, I no one in my childhood ever used that term. Interesting. Fungo bat, fungo stick. Oh, is a long lightweight bat for hitting practice balls to fielders. That sounds like a swear from either Deadwood or Veep. <laughs> fungo stick. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um. Anyway, Hache man. No, I don't know. I I don't. I don't. I don't know what the truth about. Could the truth about me be even less interesting <laughs> than the than the fiction that I've been living? I don't think so. No. <laughs> uh, I Although pu- yesterday, yesterday in in the episode that we that we are not releasing to the public. Yeah. Uh, you did discuss uh you did question whether had you been tapped on the shoulder to join the cia when you were at penn <laughs> yeah. 
um, would I have done it? Would would you have? If you yeah. were in your science fiction workshop with who is your professor? Oh, uh, uh, Judith Moffat. If you were sitting in Judith Moffat's workshop, you know what? She, you she was a science fiction writer, but the workshop was not necessarily science fiction, was it? Uh, no, it was. Just, it was a literature course. It was a science literature fiction course. literature course. But I actually actually have to say that was a good choice. I mm-hmm. I can. She, on the one hand, there could be no one less likely to have served in the CIA. On the other hand, and her her husband Ted was another great English professor, one of my favorites at Penn, um, mm. and so uh, they they were sort of both mentors of mine. If she had taken me aside and said, "Okay, Ted and I are CIA, mm-hmm. and we're recruiting you," mm-hmm. could have happened. Yeah, would it have happened after a workshop? Would you would you as a as a professor yourself, and if you were recruiting some of your <laughs> students to join the Central Intelligence Agency? All right, so here in Greece Five, I'm already CIA, and yeah. I am. What's the what's the proper time for a creative writing professor to approach their student about joining the CIA? Is it after um, a workshop in which they have been um, lauded or torn apart or? Um, that they even participated in was is it during a uh, um, is it like in the marginal notes on your your uh, handing back their manuscript is it in the portfolio review I I think I think it would not I would not it would not be in writing in any way but it would be because I see in their work and their demeanor in workshop mm-hmm. a certain uh, self possession and control. Uh, Mixed with an imagination that extends pretty deeply into the minds of those who would deceive. Would you say that, that? Yeah, go ahead. I would say. I would say. Uh, why don't you? Why don't we talk in my office? Go on. When you're sort of assessing your students' work and thinking this person really could make a career of this, could make mm-hmm. a life. This is this is a real writer. This is yeah. I've got here's I've got a live one here. Yeah, yeah. Are you are you assessing them with the same tools and rubric that you would if you were a CIA recruitment official? Uh, there'd be some overlap, I think. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Are you trying to recruit me into the CIA? John. <laughs> um I've been thinking about these things because uh, here in Portland, Oregon, where I live. Yeah. Oh, boy. The city of lights. Yes. We, um, uh, in the, starting in the, in the last few days, of, uh, uh, federal forces of unclear agency and in unmarked vehicles and in plain clothes have been abducting Portland citizens. Uh, I have, was going to ask you about this. may or may not this. have been participating in protests. Uh-huh. And those who have been released have talked about it, but I am, it is not difficult to imagine that they have not all been released. Um, and rumors are circulating, as rumors tend to circulate, uh, of, of uh, protesters disappearing. Yeah. And this is real. This is happening right now in my city. And I am um, very worried about it. But I am also curious how many of them took creative writing classes. <laughs> Wait, the, the the people doing the capturing or the protesters who are disappearing? 
you know that the protesters, if they went to college, yeah. took creative writing classes. Of course and whether did, or not they course. were majors and whether they have MFAs, <laughs> uh, it's probably a combination of all of that. The federal government is abducting MFAs. But uh, are these U.S. marshals or CIA agents or whatever the Trump's white supremacy enforcement Gestapo is being called? Yeah. Um, how many of them ever participated in creative writing courses? Um, I know that, for example, uh, the Virginia Military Institute, mm -hmm. uh, military school, um, and uh, West Point mm -hmm. itself um, have robust literature departments. And uh, um, they offer uh, creative writing courses. They offer creative writing courses. Not that those are the only recruiting grounds right. for such places. You may, in fact, uh, attend something like um, Nebraska Westland. And still end up in the um, the secret forces, but in any almost any opportunity, almost along the routes to joining um, Trump's Gestapo, mm -hmm. uh, you could have been exposed to creative writing pedagogy. Sure. Well, we were we were talking, were we not? Was it you I was talking to about this? The when occasionally online when there's a when someone wants to shit on the uh, on writing workshops. They bring up the fact that the CIA uh, right, funded right, the, the Iowa right. Writers right. Workshop, Paris Review, and all sorts of things. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe. Although I would be more likely to think that the protesters were CIA and the um, the people doing the arresting were FBI. And there's an inter internecine war. Am I using that word correctly? I think so. Is it intern or inter? Internecine, insecticide. The internecine, internecine, internecine. I had the spelling right, but not the, maybe not the pronunciation. Anyway, um, so yeah. Uh, but everybody, everybody has literary dreams, John. You have literary dreams. I, I don't mean like like go to sleep and have dreams, but like it, 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 at some point in your life, have you ever aspired to write a book? I have. I've aspired to write a book. Okay, very good. Yeah. Um, you know that this is this is a, a, a fantasy that many people share. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, because we, because as as uh, as I just as I just came up in my mind. Um, because nobody's ever said this before. We live by story, John. We oh, by st very that's good. Mine. That's I very good. That just now, out it came out of my my head. Um, and we're always telling ourselves <laughs> stories. We look, we wake up, we look in the mirror, we start telling ourselves the story of who, who we are. <laughs> oh, we do, so don't we? So, which of these sides, the uh, Protesters who have spent 52 days um, out in the streets fighting for uh, justice and civil rights, mm -hmm. um, or these, um, you know, federal officers. Mm -hmm. and it's hard to become a federal officer, right? I mean, there's a lot of background checks. There's yeah. a lot of you have to be tapped on the shoulder during a creative writing course. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's a lot of steps, right? These aren't none of these people. Well, are we cyber. don't know. We don't know who. We don't know who they are. We don't know under whose jurisdiction they are. They're they're 
We think it's so, HHS, right? Or oh, Homeland Security. Yeah, yeah it's, it's unclear. Um, and, uh, but we're presuming that they're people. <laughs> okay, right? okay. And that people are complex and okay. that everybody has an aspiration to be living the story that they're telling themselves. Okay, so if you were at, you, this, you're in mid-question. So who's, who's telling the better story to themselves? Well, the protesters or the, um, the, 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 the federal thugs? Well, the ones the protesters. Who has the better fantasy? The story, that, the story that I would like to be a reality is the story that the protesters are telling themselves. They, the America that they would like is the America that I would like. Uh, the story that the, um, the jackbooted thugs are telling themselves would maybe mm. make a better novel. They're thinking like a Clive Cussler. <laughs> yes, probably. Many of them, a number of them, probably if they haven't gone to law school, mm-hmm. many of them probably have, um, or plan on it, or have had some legal training. So they might be thinking Grisham. Sure. You think that they're thinking Grisham Cussler? Um, I'm not saying that they would be good writers, but that a skillful writer could take the mm-hmm. uh, what they thought, what they think they're doing. And dramatize it in an interesting way. Graham Greene, you think they're thinking? There you go. Mm-hmm. That they're just, or uh, they're they're uh, thoughtful people who have been caught in a carnal machine. <laughs> That's, it. That's exactly what what they're thinking. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm very disturbed um, by these developments in Portland. Uh, I was read. I read a couple of evenings of tweets about this and thought. Mm-hmm. Wait, it's on Twitter. It's on Twitter. Oh yes. my god! <laughs> and so well, well, then it'll then it will soon be solved. Yeah. Well, uh, and then the and then report. You know, the papers caught up with it, and now it's on the front page of the Post. Um, yeah. And it's a real thing, and it's very disturbing. So, and it's theater. Yeah. Well, I, I'm talking about it in terms, you know, kind of smart acidly in terms of narrative, but it is it is it is only narrative. It has nothing to do with. Uh, calming a protest. In fact, it's meant to incite. No, no, it's and, it's fascist theater. There's no question yeah. about it. It's yeah. it's it is. It's choreography. It's costuming. It's lighting. It's the most direct expression of the attempt attempted authoritarian takeover that's mm-hmm. happening right now. As Trump is yeah. sinking in the polls, as his self confidence is waning, um, as his stupidity and incompetence is becoming more and more manifest to more and more people, he is going to do more shit like this. Uh, and mm. Bill Barr is going to aid and abet him uh, in doing it. For instance, uh, I here's my, here's my November nightmare. It's that uh, they have already made voting by mail a political act. So Republicans are not going to vote by mail because Trump has been saying that it is fraudulent. And Democrats will vote by mail because we think that COVID is real and we don't want to get sick and die <laughs> while voting. So all the Democrats are going to vote by mail. All the Republicans are going to vote in person. And then as the exit polls come in and the initial results come in, it's going to look like Trump is winning. And then they're going to declare victory and Bill Barr is going to prevent the votes the, from the being recount, counted. The full count. And they're going to stage well, it's mass. Possible. It's legal because it's essentially what happened in 2000. Exactly. Except yeah. times, times a thousand. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. right? It's going to be because they had those they they had those fake ass protests outside where they were counting the ballots to try to make the them Brooks stop. Brothers right? riot. Yeah, yes. Brooks Brothers riot. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and now that the the Brooks Brothers rioting has become a, a tactic, right? It's like those knuckleheads with the with the AK-47s in Michigan, these people protesting against masks, they're a huge minority of people, the vast majority mm-hmm. of people of any political stripe are want to wear masks and want to distance in public and don't want to get sick and think that COVID it, is real. It's like a Guy Fieri wig riot. <laughs> wait, wait, Guy, I'm sorry. Fieri? Fieri. Fieri. Guy Fieri. Guy Fieri wig riot. <laughs> <laughs> because Brooks, Brooks Brothers has uh, gone out of business. Well, it's declared bankruptcy. Let me be more precise. <laughs> Brooks Brothers, which got its start uh, 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 with uh, uh, creating uniforms uh, for slaves. Wait, really? Yes. Oh, shit. Outfitting slaves. Enslaved people. Wow. Um, uh, then costumed the uh, the New York um, uh, School of Poetry. <laughs> they would always wear Brooks Brothers or J Press, Frank O'Hara, Kenneth Coke, etc. Uh, uh, but then uh, they also costumed the Bush presidency. Yeah. Um, but they've gone bankrupt as retail has 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 declined. Yeah. Um, so I can only imagine that the shock troops for Donald Trump will be wearing Guy Fieri Fieri wigs. Uh, They get the wig and the sunglass combination. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're probably right. Probably Mm -hmm. right. Uh, So, yes. Or Duck Duck Dynasty tank tops. (laughs) Duck Dynasty tank top riot. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Sure. We'll call it that. Uh, uh, uh. Um, can I tell you about my uh, cutting board? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Plastic? Wood. It's wood. It's very, very large. Very Gotta large. Got to be careful with wooden cutting boards. Oh, go, go can, on. They can harbor harmful bacteria. See, here's... here's that's, no, that's a mnemonic device for something. Wooden cutting boards can harbor... Harmful bacteria. That's how you remember the bones of the hand. <laughs> no, the, the the mnemonic device for remembering the bones of the hand is much better than that. It's um, like a um, tired lovers practice um, inventive sexual positions. <laughs> really? It's something like that. That's, yeah. that's not quite what it was. It's something better than that. So... I I had heard, uh, I'm sure this is not scientific, the opposite, which is that a wooden cutting board, the back, most bacteria cannot survive in a wooden cutting board. That the fibers of the wood break down the walls of the bacteria. The fibers of the wood? Yes. Break down... As the, the, as the board dries, the bacteria cannot find purchase in the in the wood but they're more likely to survive on the uh unyielding surface of the of the plastic cutting board 
You've you sent me something. I, I'm willing to believe both of these. Okay. Bones of the hand, carpal bones. This is the strangest illustration. It looks like a it looks like a graphic asset from a an ET video game for the um, <laughs> for the Nintendo Entertainment yeah. System. Yeah, or the twenty six hundred even. Even um, well, there was yeah. one for the twenty six hundred. Here's the thing: I like He's that on a game. Bicycle. I love that game too. <laughs> right? It's thought to yeah. be the worst video game ever made, but I um, adored it. It's, it's got the Journey theme going in the background. Yeah. <laughs> So you don't confuse it with Journey, the video game, which this podcast has con- uh, has talked about before. I'm confusing them. Um, anyway, the, the mnemonic device to help remember the carpal bones, the carpal bones specifically, mm-hmm. the scaphoid, the lunate, the triquetrum, the pisiform, the trapezium, the trapezoid, the capitate, and the hamate, mm-hmm. is some lovers try positions that they can't handle. <laughs> Oh, that's very good. Yeah. Wow. And, and you know, this follow, followed by the following line here. Approximately 1.8 million people uh, attend to accident and emergency each year due to hand injuries. Well, maybe you shouldn't be trying sexual positions you can't handle. But some lovers try. <laughs> some lovers try. Um, I'm delighted to have noticed the graphic. Thank you for pointing that out. Sure. Um, this mnemonic, um, I have searched and is not presently the title of any short story, poem, or collection or novel that I have have uh, uh, found. Oh, such a shame that you you're no longer a poet. Right, I'm not a poet anymore, so I can't use it. Yeah, it's too bad. So I put it out there for the world. One thing, by the way, we're not gonna we're not gonna look back to the past. We're not going to try to recreate. What what has happened? What has come before? But right. I did want to say uh, we talked a little bit about your new book, um, "Travelers Leaving for the City," a collection of poems from Copper Canyon. Came out a couple of months ago um, about uh, a lot of things, but inspired in part by your grandfather. Is that right? That's right. Uh, your mother's father, um, who was murdered while intervening in a. Uh, uh, trying to prevent a kidnapping. Right, he was. Uh, and the book is dark and uh, and beautiful and uh, um, at times funny. Uh, and I just really loved it. So, And everyone should Well, oh, thank it. you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. I hope that people uh, check, look into it. Me too. Me too. Mm. But you were... Um, and your future works as well, which will not will not be poetry. Will not be poetry. No, that's right. Um, look for my uh, eight hundred page uh, nonfiction novel about the sesquicentennial of Texas. Mm-hmm. Some lovers try positions they can't handle. <laughs> I love it. But you were telling us about your cutting board. Oh yeah, but I now have to say one other thing. I'm reading a book right now. Um, have you ever read Sandra Newman? No. She's an online friend of mine and of others. Uh, and <laughs> not just you. You're not, not just me. You're not, I'm not, a, not, ex- not exclusive. She's a friend to many. Yeah. Um, and her last novel is called The Heavens. <clears throat> and it's very good. 
and very strange. Um, it be, when it begins, it seems as though it is a gentle romantic comedy set among people of means in New York City. And with every chapter, more and more is at stake, and it becomes stranger and stranger. Um, and it turns into a quasi-science fiction novel and a quasi-historical novel in ways I would never have expected of it. Um, it's incredibly inventive, beautifully written, really good book. Anyway, I asked her, I'm going to... I had just I just finished a pile of work. I I edited a couple, you know, my two books, handed in the edits, and I handed in a couple of book reviews. And now I can do whatever I like for a little while. And I want to just read some books. So I said, I want to read another book of yours. I'm going to just pick one, unless you, unless there's one you're particularly proud of that you think I should read next. And she responded with, uh, hold on, I want to make sure I get the title exactly correct. And maybe you remember this book. It is called The Country of Ice Cream Star. No, I don't know this book. This book was published... I think it was published... The date listed here is 2015, but I think that's the date of the reprint. Um, this book is bananas. It is a. It takes place in post-apocalyptic Massachusetts... And the characters are all children. Um, it takes place 80 years in the future when there has okay. been a pandemic that mm -hmm. has killed a lot of people. And these kids only ever live to be 20. And then they die of this sickness. Um, and it's told, and they're all black. And it's told in this bizarre patois that Sandy invented for the novel that is it's beautiful language um it's so daring and strange and it's very long i'm only about 20 percent into it so um i'm not going to say anything about it's, it's how successful it is overall but mm -hmm. i'm kind of in awe of this project which is the one of the kind of thing it almost feels like maybe as an exercise i should do i should just sort of invent a different version of english that a bunch of post-apocalyptic kids in the distant future might speak. Clockwork and, Orange. Yes. Um, Ridley Walker. Grendel. It's fun to do. It's fun to do. And not just fun to say words. It's yeah. fun to, I was thinking of, of other novels that have, have played along with this before. Yeah. And with, with distinction. Yeah. Um, suddenly, uh, Greenlanders, uh, sprung to mind, uh, Jane Smiley's mm -hmm. big book about, uh, about the old Norse days. Norse? Scandinavian? I, I confuse all these terms with one another. Norse, in that situation, I think. You're, Scandinavian's more geographical than... You're of such folk. Cultural, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, I... I'm excited about this, and maybe next next podcast I'll have finished and can talk more about it. But um, tell me the name of it again. Something to do with ice cream. The country of ice cream star. The country of ice cream star. Yeah, the the protagonist is named Ice Cream Fifteen Star. Everyone has a bizarre name that has been cobbled together from artifacts of the past. Okay. Um, 
And I thought this took place in West Virginia. You were telling me about it yesterday, but it was in West Virginia. <laughs> no, that was <laughs> that is my beloved uh, my beloved online video game Fallout seventy six, which mm. takes place in post apocalyptic West Virginia. In the, but in the past, it's nineteen seventy six. No, it's in the it's in the, also it's in the eighty future. years in the eighty years in the future. I think I think it posits that there. So the whole Fallout universe. Mm-hmm. Sometime in the fifties, there was an event. Fallout averse. Sure, the Fallout averse. There's an event in the nineteen fifties that changed the course of history from what we know to what is the truth in this series mm-hmm. of games. Stage and version, movie version. Exactly, yeah. precisely. Uh, and eventually, there came to be a nuclear war. The, mm-hmm. pr- the primary antagonists were the United States and China. and mm-hmm. But before it happened, a company named Vault Tech sold human beings on this idea of go into this vault and we'll put you to sleep. And when the bo- So when the bombs start to fall, mm-hmm. you go into your prepaid vault and mm-hmm. you're going to live there forever. Mm-hmm. And in the, the series of games, people start to emerge from the vaults. And the world has not been completely destroyed, but it has changed drastically with mm-hmm. different kinds of creatures and robots and uh, survivors and mutants and all kinds of zany stories. And there's, a, there's also kind of a this kind of a 50s uh, pop aesthetic uh, to everything. The, the culture of the 50s, 50s people. Yeah, the culture of the 1950s remains strong for some mm-hmm. Obscure reason. So this, like Greece, yeah. But there is a Fallout game that takes place in um, post-apocalyptic Massachusetts. So I'm feeling right at home in uh, the country of Ice Cream mm-hmm. Star. I'll, I'll, I'll read it. Yeah. Should if one wants to begin playing, enter. What's the best entry point to the Fallout verse? Um. Is I it journey? S- is it the Atari Twenty Six Hundred uh, journey? <laughs> no. I would say this is a very controversial subject. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I would say the answer is Fallout New Vegas. Um, it takes place. All the games take place after the nuclear war, and people come out of the vaults in various parts of America. New Vegas mm-hmm. takes place in Las Vegas. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably has the funniest writing, the most mm-hmm. absurd characters. Um, you know, like, for instance, there's a street gang that that styles itself after Elvis Presley without even without really knowing who Elvis Presley was exactly. Mm-hmm. They have all kinds of misconceptions about about the past that that drive mm-hmm. some of the narratives. Um, there are. Uh, I remember there was a quest involving trying to put a robotic brain into a dog. Um, anyway, I, I, I recommend that. There's lots of good stories there in the wasteland. I think misconceptions about the past drive most narratives. Interesting idea. Mm, it's mm, good. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Some lovers have misconceptions about the past, if you know what I mean. <laughs> And that's how they got carpal tunnel syndrome. Exactly. But I don't have carpal tunnel syndrome because I have a very stable surface on which to chop vegetables, and that is my beautiful cutting board. Where did you get this cutting board? I got it from 
Well, let's see here. I don't know how to pronounce the the, the brand. Uh, John, I think it's John Boos. B O O S. John Boos collection. Mm-hmm. Shop John Boos and Company. It is a gigantic cutting board. It's incredibly heavy. Um, it comes with two separate tubes of oil. One is called Mystery Oil. And you're supposed to put that on about once a week to keep the wood uh, from drying out. It's just it's your basic mineral oil, I think. But it, the, what's exactly in it is a trade secret, Eddie, which is why it's called mystery oil. And then there's another tube of board cream which you're supposed to apply once a month, which I have done religiously, uh, keeping my board uh, watertight and uh, not cracking. And, mystery uh, oil and board cream mystery, is what they sold you. Exactly. Se- uh huh. Yeah. They sell these separately. They do. I got mine in a in a pack though. Yeah. So, uh, the problem with our house is we have a nice big kitchen island um, and plenty of counter space, but the countertops are made of these foot square floor tiles that are very uneven, hard to clean. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very bad counter material. They should, we should just have a wood countertop on which we could, on which we can just cut things directly. Is so, there a company or product that makes things for the kitchen islands or kitchen surfaces that's called counterintuitive? Ooh, You'll probably you'll probably think that you should shop at one of our competitors. <laughs> <laughs> However, <laughs> I know it sounds that. crazy, <laughs> but you should shop at Counterintuitive. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you. No, that's quite all right. I mean, I don't. I never mind I being interrupted with longer, with know? marketing genius. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, counter counterintuitive TM. Um, yeah, I love this thing. I absolutely love it. It's it's huge. It's stable. Uh, and then what I did because I had mentioned on the previous podcast that we're the Lost Podcast, that we're cooking a lot. We can't go out to, right. to, to eat, right. so we bought a lot of cookbooks. We're doing a lot of new recipes. Um, I'm not going to talk about it again, but I do want to mention it and then put it in the notes. The videos from um, Mangchi, this uh, Korean-American uh, chef who sort of specializes in Korean street food and home cooking. Um, she's very funny. She has a YouTube series, and I'll link to her website. And her cookbook is really good, too. It's kind of a primer on... Uh, on Korean cooking and what ingredients you need. And we have a nice, uh, we have a nice Asian grocery here in town with lots of, uh, lots of Korean spices and ingredients and stuff. So we've been really enjoying this food. Uh, I sharpen my knives. Who's your friend who is a guest on this podcast who is obsessed with knives and sharpening knives? <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember. It was a Kansas pal. Oh, Jeremy Holt. Yes. Okay. Thank you, Jeremy Holt. Jeremy Holt. Yeah. So he he is a sharp knife. Yeah. So way back when when Jeremy was on the show, I got this uh, whetstone, 
because mm-hmm. he had recommended you don't want to just use the you know the stropping thing, right? You want to actually sharpen your knives. You'll want a whetstone and right. uh, to learn how to use it. And I bought one and I barely used it. And then I finally finally decided to buckle down and really get good at it. And boy, it feels good to sharpen a knife. Like just take a. I took I take like an hour to do all the knives in this on this wet rock. First you do the the rough side, then you do the smooth side. Mm-hmm. And man, that shit is sharp. So yeah, be careful I'm, with a sharp knife. A dull knife is the most most unintentional knife injuries are the result of dull knives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But a sharp knife you I'm going to get Conventional wisdom on this, but a sharp knife can also cut you. Yeah, Yeah, it's true. It's true. What I say about that conventional wisdom, which is counterintuitive. Thank you very much. Is that the dangerous type of knife is the knife that you're not accustomed to using. So, Well, that's that's exactly right. So if if you've been using a dull knife and then you sharpen your knife, you're going to cut yourself as I – most of your hand right off right uh luckily my hand grew back which was unexpected well he went Um, to the carpal tunnel experts who had (laughs) memorized all the right mnemonic devices i mean some lovers cut off their hands and they never grow back but that's right mine Mm. i could handle it good lover yeah Mm -hmm. good chopper good lover how do you know that i'm a good lover it's because my hand grew back after i chopped it off I don't mean to brag, but I still have both my hands. Yes, <laughs> my poor knife skills. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's another, there's another hobby horse I got. I got going here. Speaking of speaking of lovers and speaking of the um the sexual shenanigans in Greece Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the song "Brand New Key." Sure, by Melanie. Yeah. I've got a brand new pair of roller skates. Right. You've got a brand new key. Exactly. I think that we should get together and try them out, you see. Okay. Perfect. Mm-hmm. You set this up perfectly. Mm-hmm. Under what conditions is one child given roller skates without a key and another child is given a key and no roller skates? I have an answer. It's more. It's more of this lackadaisical, lackadaisical parenting that's got us into this whole mess. Do you think it's lackadaisical, Ed, or do you think there's a? You think there's something else going on? Matchmaking. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think. I, I think it's a. Uh, Mandy Patinkin and <laughs> uh, Babs. Mandy has the roller skates. In bra- brand new key, the motion picture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Gentle two. I think, I think one of, one of each of their sets of parents are having an affair, mm-hmm. and uh, one of, right. They have, for mm-hmm. some reason they have. Maybe this is happening at Christmas. Key party. <laughs> That's right. The key is from a key party, <laughs> <laughs> and they're unwittingly causing their own children. Right, they had one one gift, either the either the 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 one person's parent or the other person's parent forgot yeah. to get a gift. Yeah. It's like, well, I got my kid roller skates. 
Well, why don't you give me the key? We'll just, I'll just, you know, and I'll give my kid the key and you give your kid the roller skates. But now the children are going to have an affair as well. And it's going to mess everything up. What's going to happen is these two are going to divorce their partners. They're going to get married. And now the children who are lovers mm-hmm. are brother and sister. And everything yeah. that they're doing is a sin. Everything. When they learned it from roller skating. <laughs> now, I'm, I have to admit that I've never been quite clear what a roller skating key is. Is It doesn't lock or unlock. I think the rolling mechanism. I think it just tightens it up like yeah. a drum kit. Yeah, the same mechanism as a drum kit, a drum key, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it's like a tightens a hoop. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. You can adjust the. It, ti- it tightens the skate. It tightens the the wheel skate, right? It's a skate yeah. That's adjustable. Yeah. It like it tightens it around your foot like yeah. an old skate. But not, so not all roller skates. No. <laughs> right. Old timey, not all roller skates. It tightens. It tightens the part that that holds you the foot, not the wheel. Yeah, yeah. Well, you. I, I never knew that. It's important to note here that it binds the feet more tightly. We're not talking though about what we think when you think of a when you think of. Oh, you use your regular shoe. Yes, exactly. Ah. See, roller now skates. Roller skates used to be this like metal armature with wheels that you would tighten onto your own shoe. Mm-hmm. So it was adjustable in size. These days, if you buy a pair of roller skates, it's more likely to be uh, a shoe in your size yeah. with wheels on it. You're buying footwear with accessories. Exactly. Whereas in the old days, you could get, to save money, I guess, you could get a cheap pair of roller skates that was just a metal, you know, a metal metal, uh, metal shell. that went. You could wear shoe. whatever shoe you like. Exactly. You could. Those days are gone. Those days when people could just go around doing whatever they like are gone is the point of that story that you're you're making up. Exactly. It's a warning against people walking around thinking they can love whoever they want. <laughs> Those days are over. <laughs> Sponsored by the Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> Gentle 2, brand new key. Sponsored by the Southern Baptist Convention. The white one. <laughs> the white one. <laughs> Yentl, too, now you've available got, on Disney Plus. You've got Mandy Patinkin on the brain. Lin Manuel Miranda. <laughs> David Diggs. The other people from Hamilton. Ah, oh, the other people from Hamilton. Have you watched that? I've still not Stage seen it. Stage version's always different from the movie. I did watch it, and um I I liked this I I like the Hamilton soundtrack very much. Yeah. Especially because uh, it's uh, as a kind of children's music. Oscar likes it. Kids like it, right? Much like the Grease soundtrack. Sure. Kids love the Grease music. I remember the Graham twins, Maury and Caroline, who were a couple years younger than me. Yeah. Identical twin girls from down the block. Mm-hmm. Um, singing the uh, Grease soundtrack by the pool a lot. Oh, man. You're so lucky to have identical twins on your block. Yeah. Um, so uh, I liked. Uh, so I was. Eager, I was interested to see the Hamilton, and I watched it, and I was glad to have seen it because one has had a curiosity for four or five years of well, what does this look like on stage? Uh, and it looks more or less like I thought it would on stage, and um, 
as a play, it's uh, it's a very very s- slow and uninteresting second act. Uh-huh. Um, uh, it's very goofy um, and does not age well, but it's got some catchy tunes. Sure. Well, what I'd heard about it is, unlike a lot of shows, the original cast recording is basically the whole the whole play. Well, there's nothing. You know, there's nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't been. I've been reading some plays lately. Really? Oh, that's right. Because you have been. You've been writing a. You've been writing a drama. You've been collaboratively composing a dramatic narrative. AKA some, not a poem. I'm writing some comedy with some friends. Mm-hmm. No, but um, but I, I've, I've become acquainted with this 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 playwright and. Uh, uh, and decided that I ought to read some of his work because I can't see his plays. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been reading them. And, of course, reading a play is not not the best way to experience a play. No. Um, but if that playwright is not only an excellent dramatist but a good writer of sentences and um, you know character and things like that, then you could do a lot worse than reading Brandon Jacobs Jenkins' plays, mm-hmm. particularly the Octoroon um, and Gloria, which you can get the scripts of. Interesting. Um, and they're in script format. They're not in book format. You can get the scripts. And scripts are actually kind of expensive to buy. Um, you have to buy them. You get them through, like, the French, Samuel French or whatever, mm-hmm. whoever makes all the the scripts for performances. Um, and I actually found one as a PDF, and I don't know if I was supposed to have read it or not. But... Um, they are um, uh, incredible. Oh, good! Incredible plays, and some of it is—it's like it's sort of like people when they when they read poetry. Like people will will talk a lot about Rilke and Neruda because they've read them and have read no other poets, and some of the things that they're responding to are just poetic devices. Right. Right. I love this poet when, in fact, you just kind of respond well to metaphor, and this is the only person that you're reading who, <laughs> yeah, like really. <laughs> This should have given you some great metaphors. And so I don't know uh, how much of it is just it's refreshing to read a play. I haven't read a play as a script, as a, you know, as a text mm-hmm. for a long time. And it's kind of uh, it goes it goes so quickly. You can't, you know, it's kind of refreshing to be able to read through yeah. something quickly. Yeah. Um, and then how much is just the original thing. But I, I, was, I, you know, I don't know if I'll ever get to see these performed. Because um, I haven't been to see a play in a very long time, um, partly because I'm tall and I'm always worried that they're going to call on me for some audience interaction. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, what a nightmare! <laughs> that's that's deterred me from the theater more than anything else. Yeah, yeah, same. Never, never, I w- never would I do such a thing. But I guess I should go see a play every now and then. I had a friend; they they moved away, um, but uh, uh, my friend Tom. He came here with his wife uh, because she got a job as the director of the one of the local theaters. Um, she was taking it in a more kind of experimental, uh, contemporary direction. It was it was kind of like a, a, an old people kind of place uh, before she took it over. And she, uh, cafeteria. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was a cafeteria, and then it became a a theater. Um, but I went to a couple of things there. I don't ordinarily go to plays for exactly the reason you you cite. Um, I'm embarrassed for everyone when I 
go to see a play. All the actors, the other audience members, just deep, deep human. And, and I'm a person who's been in plays, um, yet I can't really, I can't really watch them. But these I enjoyed, I have to say. One of them was just a really good contemporary play about a uh, hockey player who is um, uh, who has lost his lost his mind because of a head injury, and the other one uh, was about uh, was uh, this festival of sixty second plays. Two mm-hmm. of which I wrote, um, mm-hmm. and they 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 did them in one hour. <laughs> it was extraordinary. Um, some were good, some were not so good, but they were all. It was all. It was really fun to watch the actors try to gin up the, the a, a, you know a, a dramatic arc in sixty seconds, um, and they did so pretty successfully. So, good what time. was it called? What was what was the group of sixty second plays called? I think it was that called almost exactly that, like six, 60 second uh, drama festival or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Not that zippy. It's, it's not. What would you mm-hmm. call it? What would your name for it be? Rebrand it. Uh, already running late. It's <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> That's what I would call it. Yeah. Already running late. That's good. Yeah. I'm kind of proud of that. I think I'm going to start uh, such a festival. Well, maybe it's that should be the you 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 mentioned uh, on the last last episode that you might start a second podcast with uh, these comedy friends of yours. That's right. Well, already running late. Already running late is a good name for that it. That sounds like that's a better name than famous paintings. Yeah, famous paintings is good too, though. Yeah, that's good. Well, uh, I also uh, been reading this book. Uh, I. I Ran across this poet's work in the American Poetry Review. Her name is Jessica Lee, L-E-E. I don't know her or anything about her, really, um, except that she's young. I think she's a young person. And the, the the poetry is does not at first seem that different from most of the poetry that you will run across mm-hmm. um, in magazines or, or books. Uh, it's very much of its time. They're kind of short lyrics and often a, you know about sex and um, memory and situations. That's kind of a broad category. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something, I think it's this, uh, the, I think the, the real thumbprint of a writer is their syntax. And, um, I, these, these poems really stand out to me. Great. Um, uh, and, uh, the poems are around there. She had one in the New Yorker. America. They're 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 not hard to find. I, I sent you the link to her, her website, which has a yeah. list of them. I'm, I'm um, looking at it now. In fact, I... uh, we're going to run a couple of them in electric literature coming up. I think. Oh, great! Um, and they're uh, they're really good. I just want to drop. If you're looking for some poets you haven't read perhaps yet, um, check out Jessica Lee. Um, whoever, she, that is, whoever that is. She wrote a couple of. Uh, she has a couple of poems in Barrel House here from a few mm-hmm. years ago that are found poems that she clearly composed by just uh, cherry picking dialogue from the Donna Reed show. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I'll just read one of them. Were this those is, twins? The Donna Reed show. Was that a show about twins? Well, <laughs> no. And here's the identical thing. cousins, identical, identical cousins. cousins. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Stephanie go, goes around the house singing the theme song. All the cousins, identical, identical cousins. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so this one is called Marriage. <laughs> if you win, you lose. 
add some butter. I'll either convince you that you can be happy, or you'll convince me I'm miserable. I dreamed of being a famous actress once. Now I get to play supporting role to the greatest actor of all time. I'll swear on a stack of groceries. I have no regrets. But does this collar suit me? There's a difference between I like it and I like it. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll link to her list of uh, poems here. These look good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they seem very playful. Um, I can recommend, I kind of can't believe I'm saying this, because I got assigned a book by a writer I thought I disliked. I thought I was being assigned the book because I was thought to dislike the writer, so that I would write a snazzy takedown. thought it was a setup. I thought it was a setup. Because um, I've been set up in this way before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, to my surprise, I thought the book was terrific. Uh, it's by Otessa Moshfeg. Have you read her the, stuff? The, uh, the collection of, of reviews that are in this category... Um, I would call, uh, smell this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And it turns out it smells nice. Yeah. It smells nice in this case. Yeah. yeah you, thought this I was is... gonna, you thought I was going to hate the smell of gardenias. Well, I, I think, it. I think this started the, this is the LRB that asked me to review it. And they, um, I think the review that I did for them that they were most pleased by was of, um, oh geez, I can't remember his name. Oscar? Chad, Chad Harbach. Um, remember that book, the uh, big book c- called The Art of Baseball. Fielding? Yeah. Art of Fielding. And um, I didn't know the history of this writer, like that he had been one of the founders of N Plus One and had had sort of a manifesto about what the novel ought to be. Um, right. And then he finally, after a long time, published a novel and made a great deal of money off the um, sale of it. Right, right. It was fine, but it was, you know, it was just, it was a silly baseball <laughs> novel. And... Yeah. Uh, it felt a little bit like YA for grownups, and um, mm-hmm. and so I more or less said that in the review, and they were they were pleased with it. I think in a gleefully gleeful they way, they their hands. Yeah, they had, you know, or like um, or as did you read a, a Patricia Lockwood's review, like career retrospective of of John Updike a few years ago? Yes, I did. One of one of the best book reviews ever yeah. written, yeah. Um, and. Uh, the first, the I think it's I think they have it out from behind the uh, the paywall at the moment. Hold on, but uh, it's got the greatest. <laughs> I'll link to it. The title of the review is "Malfunctioning Sex Robot," <laughs> and and the first um, the opening bit is the opening gambit is I was hired as an assassin. You don't bring in a 37-year-old woman to review John Updike in the year of our Lord, 2019, unless you're hoping to see blood on the ceiling. <laughs> and as it turns out, she had a, like a, a youthful uh, affection for Updike and still has affection for a lot of parts of his career. Sure. Um, and finds other parts of his career entirely maddening, which is, I think, the way no, a lot of us universal. feel. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but it's a great review, and I feel like that's a review they like to assign um, mm-hmm. like they, I, the one I just finished for them is of the new Stephen King novella collection, you, you know, mm-hmm. um, which I, in many ways enjoyed, but the Moshfeg, yeah. I found we like, her, we like Stephen King here. Moshfeg's first, uh, book, McGlue is a novella, um, mm-hmm. takes place in the 
18, late 1800s, I think. It's a seafaring book about a, um, a really vile person who turns out you end up uh, sympathizing with by the end. It's actually pretty good. But then she had two books uh, after that, one called um, uh, Eileen and one called My Rest, Year of Rest and Relaxation. I really didn't like them. I thought they were very reader hostile. They, they were trying to gross you out you know, put you off, mock the very notion of enjoying a book. Um, and I expected that this was the career, the path that her career was going on. And the protagonist of this new book uh, that I reviewed, Death in Her Hands, is very unpleasant, but um, it's much more sophisticated in its, re- its approach to the reader. And mm-hmm. it's about someone kind of losing the thread out in the woods, which is a theme that I love in books Mm -hmm. and uh, I really recommend it. I think the review should be coming out in the next issue. Um, So it's a, it's a good book. And if you didn't like her before um, uh, this book, at least uh, changed my mind about her. I I think this is, this is on what we uh, used to call shelves right now. This is the books out now on so-called shelves. Yes. Mm -hmm. Shelves. (laughs) Yeah. Shelves. John. Yes. Remember shelves. I do. I do. I went to a bookstore yesterday. Oh, yes? Oscar has been attending a outdoor camp. Yeah. Run by the YMCA. Sure. Which stands for the Bones of the Hand. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's in normal years, for the last hundred years, really, it's an old YMCA camp on mm-hmm. the Sandy River, the banks of the Sandy um, one would drop off a kid on a, on a bus and the bus would take them the 30 minutes out into the wilderness for their archery and waiting. Um, and now you, that's not safe. The whole thing's probably not safe, but so we have to drive him out and it's 30 minutes, 40 minutes of the country. Uh, but on the, as you're leaving the outskirts of Portland, yes. um, if you are not being uh, husked away by federal agents in a van and have your own freedom to stop at the outlet mall, you can. There's an outlet mall. Last thing before you enter the Columbia Gorge, mm-hmm. the Troutdale outlet mall. And so I uh, pass it on my way out of the city and, and drove in. And a lot of the shops aren't open, but there's one of these little little uh, kind of liquidation bookshops. Oh, yeah. Can get in to some books um, that didn't sell well or they made too many of. Mm-hmm. And now we're just trying to get rid of. It's part of the pulping process, I think. Um, they go here and then they go into the pulp. There was a store like that up on the Flathead Reservation when we were living in Missoula. We'd occasionally find some like penguin paperbacks with the covers ripped off up there. Up around Polson? For a buck, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, Polson. Um, anyway, they had a lot of... Uh, Oh, just I bought and getting some books for the kid. I didn't have a bigger story than that, except that it was very exciting to be in a bookstore for the first time in five months. Except I hang yeah. out in a bookstore all the time. I go down to Mother Foucault's bookshop, which is not open, so I'm just kind of there. Yeah. Um, while the kids are are playing, so I, when I say that it's exciting to be in a bookshop, I'm in a bookshop several days a week. But still, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was exciting to be in a bookshop that's functioning that will sell books, and those books have been printed. Uh, more recently than 1932. Yeah. <laughs> that does sound good. 
It was nice. I I'm still afraid to enter my local bookshop, uh, though they have reopened in a limited way. But mostly, I've been just ordering from them and then sneaking over there and picking picking up the books. They do a little curbside. Yeah, they're doing curbside. So I'll probably persist in that until there's. I'm go. I'm gonna hide until there's a a vaccine, which mm-hmm. means a while. I think. You you believe that vaccines are um, oh God. are good are good for you, John? <laughs> oh, on that note, so long, Eddie. <laughs> oh, for the for the record, I do. Oh, I, okay. I, when I see it, if I see a needle. Um, out in the woods. I'll just stick it in me, assuming it's a vaccine. <laughs> I'm so pro-vaccine. Are you hungry for lunch? Well, then let's have lunch. Do you want some lunch?